Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, a weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Had some education policy and politics uh, this week as the State Board of Education got down to business in, uh, in Lewiston this week. Uh, and they did commit some news uh, that's created quite a bit of buzz on our Facebook page looking at how to grade schools and teachers. Explain what's going on here. Yeah, this all comes back, Kevin, to uh, the Every Student Succeeds Act, the school accountability plan that Idaho has been developing for most of the last year. We've talked about it several times uh, on this podcast and written about it several times. There was a big deadline uh, this fall to submit that to the feds. Uh, The state met that deadline in September, sent off the plan. And one of the plans... Uh, within our state accountability system, one aspect of it has to do uh, with the students passing out the grades for for once. And so the way that that's going to happen is starting this school year, at the end of the school year, students uh, in grades 3 through 12, all public school students in grades 3 through 12, will take a 12 to 15 question survey that has to do with school quality, teacher quality and kind of your school climate, school environment, and um, students will take those uh, surveys online. It'll be through the same kind of technology and the same platform that they use to take those online spring assessment tests, the SBAC test, and um, the results of this survey will help go into the state accountability plan. And this is generated a lot of controversy, um, but just to back up and, and give a little context here, Idaho has been without a school accountability plan uh, for years, has not had a school accountability plan really in place uh, since before Superintendent Ibarra took office, and as part of the Every Student Succeeds Act, states were required to develop an accountability plan. Idaho uh, wanted to include multiple measures in their accountability plan to kind of get beyond the old five-star rating that people didn't like so that it's not just results of a high-stakes test, one test one day uh, kind of saddles your school uh, with uh, a rating good or bad based on this one high-performance test. And so Idaho's new accountability model has several different provisions. Things that will go into making that up are things like high school graduation rates, uh, students' uh, results on the test scores, student proficiency rates, student growth towards proficiency, and uh, a couple of other indicators, and then now this student survey, and beginning the following year, a parent survey. So it's one piece of the overall accountability plan, um, and that students are going to begin taking the, uh, the surveys this spring. Right. So, so let's break down this, uh, this student grading process, because that's where there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of back and forth on our Facebook page. What the students are being asked in this online survey, it's not grade your teacher on a scale of 1 to 10, my teacher was mean to me. I mean, there, there's, it's more of a give us a sense of how you feel about your school experience and about the school, correct? Yeah, it is. We actually have a list of the questions that have been developed. Uh, the State Board of Education and State Department of Education are using uh, a survey that was already uh, developed. They have permission to give it to their students uh, and uh kind of have them take it through the the testing program, but we've published the list of questions on the article, and so if people were just seeing a headline on Facebook and kind of freaking out if they want to find out the specific questions, uh, state officials aren't hiding those questions, and I can just read two questions right now uh, as a sample, but um, 
Uh, let me find a, uh, a good one here that talks about teaching. This is a question that would go to students in grades 6 through 12. Okay. And the question is, uh, how many of your teachers are respectful towards you? And they can choose one of several responses. None of my teachers, a few of my teachers, about half of my teachers, most of my teachers, or all of my teachers. Another question uh, that students uh, might have in grades 3 through 5 the question is, if you walked into your class upset, how concerned would your teachers be? And the responses they can choose from are not at all concerned, slightly concerned, somewhat concerned, quite concerned, extremely concerned. And so this is kind of one of those, there's no wrong answers for the student filling it out kind of thing. Um, but all the questions that have been developed are available on our website, on, on that article, available at Idaho Ed News. Dot, uh, org and, and so you can, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you want to see exactly what we're talking about and what the kids will be asked, uh, you can head over there and check those out. And, and how much weight is attached to these uh, student survey responses and maybe a, a year or so when parent responses are, are factored into this mix? How much how much of a factor is this in, in the whole accountability equation? It's, it's one of several factors. There's multiple factors, and that's the whole point here in Idaho. We had a series of public hearings in 2016, and everybody was very clear. They've used the term dashboard, uh, but multiple measures of accountability. And so I, I think there's five different ones. This is the, the fifth indicator is what it's kind of been called uh, in, in federal education parlance. And uh, so it, it's one of about five different uh, measures that will go into the accountability system. And what that accountability system does, in part, it will help identify the lowest performing schools, the lowest 5% performing right. schools in the state. And I think you have a lot more data that will be really actionable in terms of graduation rates and, and test scores. Yes. That's something that's really specific in, in terms of performance and accountability, uh, and this will be sort of like a companion piece around that. But uh, the federal government was very clear that, that states needed a fifth indicator is what people are calling this. A lot of states, I do want to point out, I don't have the exact number, but multiple states went with either chronic absenteeism or teacher attendance as a school quality indicator. And in the public hearings, uh, all across the state, Idahoans were very adamant that they did not want Account, uh, that they did not want chronic absenteeism or teacher attendance to be the fifth indicator. And so there were only a limited number of options out there. And with opinion running so contrary to absenteeism and attendance, this is one of the ones uh, that the state selected. It kind um, of emerged as an alternative. But it's not a new idea. This was brought forth to the public. A lot of feedback was solicited and received on this during the 2016 year. I know that I was a part of a lot of those meetings. I attended some of those meetings. So although some people may be hearing about it for the first time, it's not a new idea. It was just really put forward uh, and discussed by the state board uh, this week. And so head over to IdahoEdNews.org. It gets a little complicated, but I think you can read the student survey questions yourself. And it's not like a school will automatically be flagged as the lowest performing school in the state if a handful of students say that uh, my teacher is only somewhat respectful for, to me. There's 15 questions on this survey. It's one of five indicators. But I think that the data, the hard numbers on things like graduation rates, uh, proficiency, growth on assessment tests, I think those are really actionable 
uh, and, and really concrete numbers where this is more of give me a sense of the school climate, give me a sense uh, of what learning and the culture is like at your school. And when I talked to Debbie Critchfield from the State Board of Education, she said she really wanted these responses to be able to go back to the local building so they know what their students are thinking and then they can make they can either celebrate bright spots and, and best practices, or they can kind of tweak things a little bit and, and make adjustments to help student achievement. I think that's kind of the main goal of what they want to do uh, with these uh, responses. But head over to our website, and you can find out a little bit more about it. Other news coming out of the State Board this week. Uh, catch us up quickly on uh, alternative uh, teacher certification that came up uh, that came up in the board meeting as well, correct? This has been, yeah, it did, did, it did on Thursday. This has been a hot topic, Kevin. Kevin, you've written about the teacher shortage and mm -hmm. the number, hundreds of teachers uh, that have come in to teach into the classroom through some sort of alternative certification or some sort of alternative route. I believe those figures uh, nearly doubled over mm -hmm. the last yeah. two years, and you wrote about that just about three weeks or so ago. And so this is another effort on the part of the State Board of Education to help address what they consider a teacher shortage. And, and certainly we've learned that there are pockets of shortages in, in, in rural districts and in districts across the state. There are certain hard-to-fill positions where a school district will advertise an opening and they report that they're just not getting the qualified candidates that they'd like to see. And, and so, some disciplines that are harder to find, like special education and, and math and science. Yep, the advanced uh, STEM courses, special education, foreign language, I believe, uh, is another one. And so what the, the board is looking at doing, and this is in the very preliminary stages, but they're looking to add additional flexibility is the term that they kept using, but adding another alternative route to bring professionals into the classroom who haven't gone... Uh, to college to be a teacher who don't have their teacher certification, who haven't gone that traditional route, uh, but they want to uh, provide some more flexibility to get those folks and to fill those openings and get them in front of teachers. And there are kind of two examples uh, that the board discussed. The first example would be, let's say you've got a social studies teacher uh, at your high school and at that same high school, a foreign language teacher leaves, and you're in danger of shutting down your Spanish program, let's say. Well, if this, and this is, a, I think, a real-world example where this really happened, let's say that social studies teacher is fluent in Spanish, doesn't have a degree to teach uh, Spanish, is not certified to teach Spanish yet, uh, but maybe they could come in and and fill that void in, in that classroom by teaching Spanish rather than having the program go away. The other example that folks were talking about is let's say there's an architect or an economist in your community and they're interested in getting back, uh, giving back to the community and they'd like to teach. Well, right now, uh, it could be a barrier if they had to go back to school and earn a teaching degree and teaching certificate and so they're saying what if we had this system where folks that have a college degree, number one, relevant experience uh, in the specialized area of content, and have they been evaluated by the building principal? What if there was a mechanism to get those folks in teaching to the classroom, and then they're working towards that certification, passing that mm -hmm. certification? So it's getting them in the door initially uh, when they've been identified as a subject matter expert and screened by their principal, and letting them start teaching initially and then working towards that teacher certification uh, and, and building up their evidence of uh, pedagogy and curriculum knowledge and things like that 
uh, rather than having them wait and go back and get the certificate first, invest a lot of time and money, and then maybe a year and a half, two years down the road enter the classroom. So the specifics for the program are going to be developed, but it's the concept that's moving ahead. And I was at a, a work group meeting the week before, and this was a fairly contentious subject, and, and, and opinion was fracturing over pretty... Uh, predictable ideologies. The colleges of education, specifically Boise State University and members of the Idaho Education Association Teachers Union were worried that this might be watering down our standards for having teachers in the classroom. That was their opposition right. and that was their concern whereas you've got educators and superintendents and administrators from small school districts saying we have a growing problem here, we can't fill these positions as is send us help. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's where the debate breaks down, the very initial stages of developing this. So that does not mean uh, that these folks are going to be in the classroom immediately this year. They need to develop the parameters uh, for the program and then bring that back to the State Board of Education. But I anticipate that this will be talked about quite a bit in education circles. They're going to bring together different education groups and educators uh, to provide input. It may come up during the legislative session. And it may prove, prove to be controversial, so we'll continue to uh, to keep yeah, an I eye on this. I think we'll both this. be keeping an ear out on this because this is a, a big issue that's not going away. For sure, for sure it is. Let's, um, let's switch gears a little bit and, and talk about a couple projects that you're working on. Kevin, you took sort of a field trip this week and went out to the Middleton School District and are taking a look at how they're using technology in a one-to-one -one setting in the classroom several years in now past the uh, initial technology pilots. What are you looking at and what did you find out? Yeah, Middleton's an interesting case study in one-to-one -one computer uh, computer technology and computer uh, classroom uh, technology. So way back in 2013, in the aftermath of uh, Propositions 1, 2, and 3, uh, the state launched a computer, uh, a tech pilot program, uh, provided $3 million a year for these pilots. Middleton High School was one of uh, 11 schools that got a share of that money, a very competitive uh, grant application process. They use their money to uh, equip every high school kid with a, with a laptop. Well, now we're into the second generation of their laptop program, uh, second generation of devices. Yeah. Um, and Middleton is expanding the one-to-one -one program this fall. Uh, they started the one-to-one -one program now with uh, middle school students. So middle school students as well as high school students have Chromebook devices that they're using in, in the classrooms. Uh, it was a chance to kind of get a sense of what's happened at the high school uh, in the fifth year of this program. Uh, get a sense of how this uh, how this uh, technology is used uh, to help kids do their senior portfolios, to do uh, oral presentations, to do uh, videos. Uh, also, get a sense of kind of how you do a rollout with middle school students. And, and so far, what the what the school officials are saying is that the rollout's been pretty smooth. Uh, Kids seem to be taking care of the devices, the first and foremost. They're not having uh, any issues there. But the uh, devices are definitely getting incorporated into the classroom. It's, it's early. I mean, they just got the devices in middle school uh, about a month ago. So still kind of rolling it out and incorporating it into the classrooms. But uh, a lot of enthusiasm, they say, with, with parents seem to think that this is a good direction to go. Um, most of the parents have uh, given their kids the go-ahead to... You know, take the computers home on nights and weekends to do homework. Uh, so 
uh, kind of a sense of how that rollout is going. Uh, so far, uh, school officials feel pretty good about it. Uh, also had a chance to talk to some of the students who are on the front lines of making this program work, uh, both at the high school and the middle school. Uh, they have uh, Tech Ninja teams who um, are kind of the first line of, uh, of IT help. If, if, a, if a kid winds up uh, messing with their computer settings and your computer display is sideways and you don't know how to fix it back to where you can actually read your computer, uh, the ninjas are supposed to be able to help them. Uh, talking to some of the kids, I mean, they've seen it all. They've seen everything from something like that to a dead battery. Uh, one of the high school ninjas was telling me about um, a computer that came in that had been run over by a school bus. I, I don't think they could do much <laughs> for that one. But but the ninja program is really kind of cool because as I talked to some of these, these students, and they've already seen this with some of the ones who graduated, uh, they're getting uh, work experience, uh, real-life experience helping in an IT setting. And quite a few of these uh, students have graduated high school and are now studying computers in college. Uh, it's kind of become a career goal for them. And, and some of the ninjas I talked to, even as early as 7th and 8th grade, are saying, yeah, I'm thinking about this as a career. So uh, a lot going on there. Uh, it was kind of a chance for me to catch up on you know, what's happening with one of the tech pilot schools. Spent a lot of time in 2013 and 14 looking at the, the tech pilot rollout. So it was a chance to get caught up on what's happening in, in Middleton. You know, and the bottom line in, out of all of this is how is it affecting student performance? And that's, as I talked to Josh Middleton, the superintendent in the Middleton district, he said, you know, we've got work to do here still. There are still numbers I want to see improve in terms of test scores, in terms of uh, student go-on rates. And that's really how I'm going to judge this thing long term. If it's tied to student achievement, that's great. If it's not, it really just becomes a device. So I think, you know, he wants to see it kind of move into something that's applied that leads to tangible results. And I'm sure that's the prevailing sentiment in the district. How is this helping, helping kids succeed now? Not just, you know, get them exposure to working on a computer, but how is it helping them perform in the classroom? Very good. I, I like that story. I like how you focused on, especially the students getting involved with kind of the, the tech ninja oh, they're, they're fun to talk to. They're, they're program. And, and that makes a lot of sense that, that the students would be able to, to help out and be that, uh, that first line of, of, of defense, that first line of IT support. But it is, the thing I like about the story is it's really taking a large issue in education today, which is technology, which is computing devices and one-to-one -one environments, and kind of looking at how it's playing out at the micro level in one school district. And, and so I really like that aspect of the story and would encourage people to uh, head over and yeah, check and it check out. out the story. Uh, I was out there with Andrew Reed, our multimedia reporter, so you'll be able to see a video as well as, uh, as read the story. All right. Uh, one more big topic that I want to get to this week, which is pre-K. It's been a topic uh, debated in education across Idaho for a long time. Uh, the legislature in the state, as you know, is, is one of the, uh, the few states that has not provided a statewide funded uh, pre-K program. And so the Boise School District partnered with the city mm -hmm. on a yeah. small pre-K, uh, sort of a pilot program. Again, there's that word, but... Uh, uh, you took a look at some results, and uh, some, some numbers are in, and um, what are we finding out about this, this small program being rolled out in Boise? What we're seeing with the test scores, and what, uh, what was the focus of this study, and Boise State University did the study looking at how this uh, Boise pre-K pilot is working. 
uh, at BSU focused on uh, reading scores, scores on the uh, Idaho Reading Indicator, to look at how kindergartners are doing on that test. So what they saw in the two schools where you have this pilot pre-K going on, uh, the fall pre uh, the fall scores on the Idaho Reading Indicator, they saw a significant difference, a statistically significant difference between uh, performance for kids who went through the pre-K program as opposed to students who did not go through the pre-K program. That the pre-K graduates did better on the fall IRI, considerably better than the students who did not go through pre-K. So that's what you would hope to see. If you're a pre-K advocate, that's what you've been arguing for for years, that uh, this is going to help kids be better prepared when they hit kindergarten and when, when they start to you know, have to take reading exams, when I have to start to learn to read and, and, and prepare for that whole process of learning to read. What I found significant, too, what I found interesting, too, in the numbers is uh, the gap between the pre-K grads, if you will, and the non-pre-K grads. That gap narrows over the course of the uh, kindergarten year. Uh, the pre-K graduates still do better on the spring IRI than the non-pre-K students, but it the gap is smaller and it's not statistically significant anymore. So you, know, you would expect some narrowing. You would expect that as uh, all students go through kindergarten and they've had the uh, chance to to get some reading instruction, you'd expect the scores to go up. I mean, that's uh, that's been that the trend to it's reason. Spring spring scores are higher than fall scores even before this pre-K exactly. pilot, right? I mean, the, the spring IRI scores for kindergartners tend to go uh, I have really big improvements. Yes. I mean, you, but you would expect that. So I think that's an interesting aspect of this study, and it goes to the larger debate that we've heard about pre-K for years. Uh, the opponents of pre-K or the skeptics about pre-K say, well, yeah, you do see a difference when these kids hit kindergarten in the fall, but how long, how lasting are those effects? And uh, some studies have suggested, hey, maybe the the effects aren't as lasting as uh, pre-K advocates might suggest that they are. So if you're seeing that gap narrowing even during the course of the kindergarten year, I suspect that there are numbers here for both sides of the debate to embrace. Yeah. If you're in favor of pre-K, you're going to say, hey, look at those fall scores. How, how good is that? That We've got 86% of kids in these two schools reading at grade level in the fall. Um, Dave Beter, uh, Mayor Dave Beter, who you know, and the city's put considerable taxpayer money into this program. He's, he's invested in it. He's looking at those numbers and saying that's uh, evidence of the need to do more uh, with pre-K and have state-funded pre-K. Well, that's one half of the argument. I suppose if you're a skeptic of pre-K, you're going to say, well, you know, sure, but the, the benefits aren't as long-lasting. Is this really, uh, you know, is this really making a huge difference, a lasting difference uh, uh, over the long haul? So, Interesting numbers. Uh, the debate certainly is not going to go away. Um, you know, I don't expect that we'll see big movement one way or the other on the pre-K issue in the 2018 legislative session, but I think uh, research like this is going to uh, further inform what has been a lengthy and very emotional debate. All right. A lot of news this week. Uh, if you missed anything, head over to our homepage at idahoednews.org and check it out. A couple stories that we didn't get to talk to that I just want to mention in passing. Uh, we continue to get ready for the uh, 2018 primary elections, uh, governor, uh, congressional races, all state legislative races. 
statewide offices such as Superintendent of Public Instruction will all be on the ballot. Many of those will be contested in May. Kevin, you took a closer look at the fundraising and spending in the congressional races if you want to find yeah. out uh, how the candidates are. You had an interview with uh, State Superintendent Cherry Ibarra to get a sense of what her priorities are as she seeks re-election. That's all going to be housed under our elections page. So if, if you need to get caught up now and if you want to keep getting, uh, getting current, if you want to stay current on what's happening in elections, just uh, go to that that uh, section of our site. Yeah, we've got an election 2018 logo with a flag on it, kind of in the top right-hand corner of our site. All of our stories will be held there and preserved there. And also reaching out to Jeff Dillon, who's challenging Superintendent Ibarra in the state superintendent's race, hoping to put together a multimedia interview with him. Hopefully it comes together real soon, but we are reaching out uh, to him and trying to get our schedules coordinated as of right now, but we will stay after that. I think that catches us up. We always have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast and appreciate everyone who joins us each week and listens along at home. Uh, Thanks so much. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.